It's my privilege to welcome you uh, and introduce you to our speaker for our preacher this morning. He has been the speaker for our Proclaim Conference over the course of this weekend. His name is Alex Wallington. Uh, he was actually right out of college, was a two-year Mercer University RUF intern here at, before he went to seminary, and he's been working with RUF for the last 15 years uh, at Penn State University and now at University of Southern California. He is an interim pastor, among other things that right now. And uh, Alex is a good friend of mine. We, we were discussing just a couple days ago that it's been 24 years since we first met. We felt super young after that. But given our friendship, I told him I would read our text for this morning and then he'll come up. So let me read for us 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 17. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which war wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperors as supreme or the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by being good, by doing good, you should put to silence in the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. In 2019, uh, the last blockbuster video went out of business and became a museum in Bend, Oregon, and it didn't have to. Because in 1997, a guy named Reed Hastings went to Blockbuster and said, I would love to sell you my company for $35 million. Blockbuster laughed at him and said, your little company that mails DVDs to people and lets them uh, watch them at home is just a little niche. Uh, nobody's interested in that at all. Well, that company that they passed on is now worth $138 billion. You know it as Netflix. And what Blockbuster missed out on is that they were not in the DVD business. They were in the home entertainment business. And the home entertainment business is still thriving and is still something that people are deeply interested in. It's just the manner of which we're receiving it has totally changed. And the lesson is this, if you don't understand who you are in the midst of what you're doing, you run the risk of being obsolete. We've been talking this weekend about what it means to be the church in the midst of the culture and in the changing culture and how we are to be and live and do ministry and reach a culture that is more and more and more post-Christian. And the moment we begin to think about that and engage with that, it's almost an immediate reaction of fear. And what the fearful impulse has done for us is turn us into uh, people who believe that we're in the midst of a culture war and changed our identity in the midst of the culture is not something that stands on the gospel, but is something that is after a political influence. Or what we will do is we will look at any kind of trend that seems to be getting traction anywhere in the world and follow that, which makes us nothing more than a club. And what Peter has for us in this text is something totally different. 
He says, here, here is how you live in the culture and here how you influence the culture. No matter where you are, it's that you understand who you are and then you live in light of who you are. This is what the church is called to. This is what First Pres is called to. In the midst of this culture is to understand who you are and then live in light of who you are. First, he says, know who you are. He tells us this in verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. He says, you are a sojourner and an exile. In the NIV, it translates it as aliens and strangers. He doesn't say go be an alien and stranger. Don't go pursue that. Don't live in such a way that actually people will uh, have an easy time calling you that. He says you are that. It's not something to lament. It's something to identify and embrace. Now, why does Peter give us this identity? Well, it's because it's built up in Peter's understanding of salvation. Peter's understanding of salvation is not less than the forgiveness of sins, but it's actually something so much more rich, something much more vast. He begins his letter and says this to Christians. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us by his great mercy to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of the dead. He says, this is what a Christian is, is somebody who has been born again into a hope that is alive. That is, when you become a Christian, what happens is God's spirit comes into your life and gives you this experience with something that he is doing now and will finish one day. That he's going to renew the heavens and the earth. He's going to make this world as it was meant to be, fully glorified, without stain, without death, without wrinkle of any kind. And when God's spirit comes into your life, what happens is you begin to think that is ultimate reality. That is what coming in this world, that is what's coming to this world, and I'm going to begin to put my eggs in that kind of basket. And that experience begins to transform you in such a way that you almost can't look at any part of your life the same. There's a place in uh, Tolkien's um, Lord of the Rings, it's like toward the end in The Return of the King, after they've destroyed the ring, and Frodo's trying to decide what he's going to do with his life. And he has this interaction with Gandalf, it says this, Gandalf said to Frodo, are you in pain? As he quietly rode by him, Frodo said, well, yes, I am. It is my shoulder. The wound aches, and the memory of darkness is heavy on me. It was a year ago today. A year ago today. Alas, there are some wounds that cannot be wholly cured, said Gandalf. I fear it so may be with mine, said Frodo. There is no real going back. Though I may come to the Shire, it will not seem the same. For I shall not be the same. I am wounded with a knife and a sting and now have this long burden. Peter, Peter is saying, here, here's what a Christian is. is somebody who has been so wounded with the hope of the resurrection and what God is going to do with all of the evil brokenness in this world that you can't go back into any of your life the same. The Christian's view of salvation is that one day darkness in, the, in its rain and its stain in this world is all going to be gone. That you're going to wake up in a bed of laughter that's going to make even the saddest experiences and the saddest lives that have ever been lived feel like one inconvenient night in a hotel. So that when you're going through the saddest of things, 
that's somehow still possible to have joy. And anybody who is banking on that, who is putting their hope in a world to come more than the American dream, is none other than an alien and stranger in this world. And what the church is called to be are a group of people in the midst of the culture who is not putting all of their hope and all of their eggs in the hopes of the culture, but says everything is banking on the world to come. Are you that kind of church? Or are you just like every community here in Macon, Georgia, after the same dreams, putting your eggs in the same hope that everyone else is putting it in? Because Peter calls you to know who you are. But secondly, he calls you to live in light of that identity. Now, what does it mean to live as an alien and stranger? Um, at the immediate eye, it, what it feels like he's calling us to do is to live this ascetic life. That if you're an alien and stranger in this world, that just means that you withdraw from the culture. Uh, Leonard Cohen, about 10 years ago, had uh, what was sort of a life-transforming experience before he died. And his reaction to the experience was to withdraw past the San Bernardino Mountains and live in a monastery for five years. For the most part, when we hear Peter call us to be an alien and stranger, it feels like he's calling us to maybe live like that. Maybe we should just pull away from the culture, uh, keep our, our children and our families protected from all the ways that it's degrading into darkness. But he's, it's not that at all. He actually gives us a life that not only will it live in the midst of the culture, it will actually begin to influence the culture. And he's, here's how you influence the culture around you with your identity. You do it by abstaining, by honoring, and by loving. This is what he says in the text. He says, your identity that you've been given to be living in light of the hope of the world to come should call you to abstain. He says this, brothers, beloved, I urge you, to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Now, what does this mean? I mean it feels like he's saying all the things that I would put up in, in Vegas, never go there, run away from that. But this language, passions of the flesh, is actually one Greek word. It's the word epithymia. Thumia is the Greek word for desires. Epi is the prefix for over or magnified. So what he says is an alien and stranger is this world is not somebody that looks out at all the things that people are doing with their life and just says, I would never have anything to do with that. It's somebody who looks at those things and says, I'm not going to put that kind of weight on it that you do. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I'm sure you have this in your house. My wife's got crystal candlesticks on our dining room table. And you take that crystal candlestick, it's a perfect holder of a candle. It, it holds it upright. It, it has the ability to withstand the weight of the candle. But if you take that same thing because it can hold a candle and try to jack your car up underneath it and hold it there to change a tire, what's going to happen? The car is going to crush the candlestick. Now, does that mean the candlestick can't hold weight of anything and it's not a good holder of something? No, 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 no. It's just not built to hold the weight of a car. The way the human heart works is this, and this is how what Peter's trying to counsel, is it says, listen, your job, your children, your reputation, your appearance, the cosmic weight that you want to put on that will crush it. If you look at your children, there's two ways to do it. 
One is to make them your life. And if you do that, either your expectations are going to crush them or their failure to meet your expectations are going to crush you. And what Peter says is when you're an alien and stranger, you look at your children and say, they're a significant part of my life, but they're not my life. Now, why? Because this is what really makes you an alien and stranger. He says, why do you do that? It's because when you engage that way, when you put that kind of weight on something in this world, it destroys your soul. He says it literally does battle on the essence of who you are. And this is, this is so radical in the midst of the culture because why does a secular person not do something? And why does a religious person not do something? A secular person would, would abstain from something because only if it's hurting you. Like if it's not hurting you, well, who cares what it does to me? Let me do my thing. But a religious person would say, oh, abstain from that. You better stay away from that because God will hate you. And God will be disappointed in you. And God will not love you. But Peter says, an alien and stranger, when the gospel comes in your life, what you do is you begin to look at those things and you say, look, if I continue to put that kind of weight on that kind of thing, it's going to make life miserable. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to enslave me. It's going to enslave the thing that I'm doing. And it's going to make life without joy. And when you're an alien and stranger, the way you begin to influence actually people around you, is by looking at all the things that everybody else is doing in their life and saying, I'm not going to put that kind of significance on that thing. And when they would see you, they'll notice that your soul is more free than theirs. And that your soul does not go through the daily battle and war of are they significant? Are they on that plane of up and down in joy or in sorrow throughout every single day going through the circumstances? But they're totally set free by that. And so Peter calls you to abstain. But secondly, he calls you to honor. This is what he says in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. The NIV says submit. And then in verse 17, he says this line, honor the emperor. Now this is a stunning line and actually incredible counsel for us to begin to have an influence in a post-Christian culture. Because it, it was, it's stunning counsel for Peter. Because on the one hand, there's a lot of biblical counsel that when the authority is doing something against the will of God, the faithful thing to do is to resist. Is to resist. Do you remember uh, the, the Hebrew midwives who were commanded to go kill all the babies and they protect Moses? There's Daniel who's forbid to pray. He prays in public. Peter, even himself, is told that he cannot preach in public and resists the authorities and continues to preach. It's even more stunning from Peter because the person he's probably talking about is Nero, who might be the most evil person in authority the world has ever known. He crucified Christians at parties and would even go after Peter himself and have him killed. But Peter is giving us this principle that we can at least learn, is that submission to an authority is not conditional upon the justice and godliness of the ruler. Now, why does he want us to submit this way? It's because Peter's afraid of this. If you begin to believe that you're an alien and stranger in this world, 
and that that's your fundamental identity, one of the immediate conclusions is that you can begin to think, aha, no one can tell me what to do. And I speak and answer to no one in this world. And Peter wants to protect us from that because he wants the church to be a light in this world. And so he gives us this language. He says, uh, in NIV it says to submit. Here it says to be subject. But it's one Greek word, hupotasso. It literally means to volunteer one's attitude for the greater good. And then in verse 17, he says, honor the emperor. And so his counsel is sort of saying this. He doesn't say worship the emperor. He says honor him. He says volunteer laying down your agenda for the greater good. Now, every four years in American culture, that sounds something you're totally up for or something you cannot comprehend ever doing. David Zoll, in his book, uh, Seculosity, uh, has a great chapter where he begins to talk about how um, even in our secular culture, moving more and more away from uh, a worldview where God is in the middle, that we, we cannot help but find something and put there. And one of the most uh, intuitive things for us to do is politics. But Zoll says that there's almost two kind of attitudes towards politics we have in our culture. It's either apathy or it's zeal. And zeal both uh, for and against politically what's going on. And Zoll says, look, the, the pendulum between apathy and zeal is a clue that the political nature of this world has got a grab on your heart that is to a religious degree. And Peter is calling you to be free from that, to walk away from that when that thing grabs your heart and to voluntarily lay down that zeal, to walk away from the apathy. Why? Not for you, but for the healing of this world. I'll put it frankly, here's what this means. There's times the government and the leaders who are there are about things and say things that you can't stand and Peter still calls you as a Christian to lay down your attitude and to do whatever you can to cohesively come together for people for the healing of your city. If you do this, a couple things will happen. A, it'll be cosmically freeing. That is, if you don't begin to think that laying down your attitude and volunteering to, to cohesively come together with people who you radically disagree with is a part of what it means to be an alien and stranger in this world, you put too much hope in this world. And you're putting too much of a burden on yourself to do something about it. And when you do that, what will happen is every single time you watch the news, it'll grow your anger, it'll grow your cynicism, and it'll degrade your relationships with anybody who thinks and votes differently than you. And when you do what Peter does, it, it actually begins to free your soul from the center of this world and actively put your hope in the world to come so that you can be an amazing citizen here. B, what it will do is it will be socially redeeming. If you have coworkers or neighbors or friends who are not Christians, the idea of hoping in heaven is one of the strangest things they've ever heard of. It, it, it is something that they know people do, but practically makes no sense at all. You remember the John Lennon song, Imagine? He says, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine if you can. Imagine all the people living for today. The philosophy behind that song 
is the idea that the only people who will be useful in redeeming in society are people who are 100% focused in this world and have no idea of eternity or heaven of any kind. But Peter's counsel here is the exact opposite. He's saying if heaven is your ultimate hope, what it should do is actually create somebody who is 100% engaged in this world. See what it will do is it will personally transform you. Look, if you're able to look at authorities and submit, you know what will happen to you? You, you will become like Jesus. There's a place in John 19 where Jesus is on trial with Pilate. And Pilate is grilling him with questions. And Jesus is just not even answering him. And finally, Pilate just says, don't, don't you realize that I have the power to either set you free or kill you. And Jesus looks at him, you know, in this incredible cowboy moment and just says, you would have no power over me if you were not given to you from above. And what he's saying there is he's basically saying, look, I live for another world, but in this moment, I'm here with you, so you do your thing. Look, if you become a church that can live in this world politically like that, you will for sure be an alien and stranger in your city and also a part of healing it. Peter, he calls you to have an influence to the way that you abstain, to the way you honor, but also to the way you love. He says in verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. This is radical counsel. Because in this culture, it would have been a tribal understanding to only love people. I love people who are in my family, who live like me, who speak the same language, who look like me, and who believe the same things. And Peter calls them, in the midst of the Roman Empire, to love everyone. He's saying, no matter if you have uh, values like them, no matter if you even disagree with them, no matter if they will never be a part of what you're doing, love them. I'll give you a picture of what this looks like. Uh, Dionysus, one of John's disciples, once wrote a letter to an unbeliever to try to convince him what, uh, the non what Christians were like, and here's what he wrote. He said, Christians cannot be distinguished from the rest of human race by country or language or customs. They do not live in cities of their own. They do not use peculiar form of speech. They do not follow an eccentric manner of life. Yet, although they live in Greek and barbarian cities alike, as each man lot has been cast, and follow the customs of the country in clothing and food and matters of daily living, at the same time, they give proof of the remarkable and admittedly extraordinary constitution of their commonwealth. They live in their countries, but only as aliens. They have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland, yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign country. They marry like everyone else. They begat children, but they do not cast out their offspring. Because in that culture, if the child was sick or was handicapped or there was something that was not perfect about it, they just threw them away, but not Christians. They share their board with all each other, but not their marriage bed. It is true that they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They busy themselves on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but their own lives, they go far beyond what the laws require. What the soul is to the body, that's what the Christians are to this world.
people who live like that, you know what Peter says, if you begin to do that, what will happen is that they will begin to see your good works. And the language there for good works is the word beautiful, which is what Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, this is what a city on a hill is, is that people who say, you live life unlike anyone else that I know and work with. Why do you do this? And therein becomes the apologetic of the gospel. And do you know why you could be a church like this? Because Peter says this, because you are beloved. He says, you exiles, you aliens and strangers in this world are beloved by God. The word beloved means worthy of love. What he means there is that Jesus, the, the work of Jesus is so sufficient in what he was as a person, abstaining for us, honoring on behalf of us, and loving us even in our darkness when we were enemies and wanted nothing to do with him. Je the work of Jesus is so sufficient that when it's given to us, you're not just reluctantly loved by God, you're beloved, his favorite. And God calls you worthy of that kind of love. Do you know that? Do you live like that to the point where you are freed up in this world to be an alien and stranger in this city, not going after social power the way everybody goes after social power, not having to live with the significance of what your children do, what your house looks like, what your bank income is, because you have been so set free by the love of Jesus that you happily take on the identity of an alien and stranger in this world. Is that your church? because Peter calls you to that this morning. Let me close with this. You may not know the name John Scully, but he was the CEO of Pepsi in 1982. Steve Jobs went to him when he had a little startup called Apple and said, I want you to leave that and come work for me. Scully said, why in the world would I leave this Fortune 500 company where I've got a guaranteed salary, I've got benefits for life, we're making money hand over fifth, and come join your startup where none of that is promised. And Steve Jobs looked at him and said, listen, do you want to sell sugar water the rest of your life, or do you want to change this world? I'm asking you as a church this morning, do you want to sit in your living rooms and watch the culture of Macon continue to go in a direction and you just scorn it and hate it from the couch or do you want to change your city? Because if you do, the way to do it is to start living and engaging as an alien and stranger in this world after your savior. And you begin to take on values and a lifestyle in such a way that people go, where is your hope? And you just tell them, it's not in this world. Let me pray. Father, We want to love our city. We want to redeem our city. We want to see more people in this room a year from now who witness the way that we are with our kids, who witness the way we are with our work ethic, who witness the way we are with our resources. Lord, and they just wonder what kind of hope do we have? Lord, would you, by the power of your Spirit, in the thoroughness of the gospel, free us to be aliens and strangers in this world for the sake of your kingdom and the sake of our city. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.